The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome, I am your host. Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and you can learn more about my work and the work of my two partners, Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand, if you go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com for me and Chen Lin, and webeatthestreet.com for myself and Roger Wiegand, webeatthestreet.com. And you can sign up for special trial, trial offers, um, initial trial offers, one-time offers for those of you who have not yet subscribed to our letters. And you can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426 at 718-457-1426 during w- normal work hours to learn more about, about those offers. Two other websites where I am posting a daily blog, uh, jtaylormedia.com, that's J-A-Y, taylormedia.com, and goldinvestor.com. Also to keep track of companies on my radar screen. Those are companies that I'm not, that I'm really taking a serious look at uh, for possible inclusion in my newsletter. You can go to jayswatchlist.com, that's J-A-Y-S, watchlist.com, to learn about some exciting companies that may or may not make it into my newsletter, but companies that at least I'm taking a look at, mostly gold mining companies, but not exclusively. So we have some other interesting things too, coal and uranium and and some other things that we're looking at, some other sectors that we're very interested in uh, at this point in time. Well, thanks. 
to each of you for listening to this show. I'm really pleased to learn, just learned this past week, that our numbers are up another 28% in September from August. So the interest in this show is building, and I think the reason is because not of me, but because of the excellent guests that we have on this show from week to week. I'm really flattered this week to have Robert Prechter, who will be joining us in the second seg- uh, segment, second and third segments of this week's show. Well, I really want to thank our corporate sponsors because without them, this show would not be financially possible. Apollo Gold, Bonterra Resources, Hawthorne Gold, Metanor Resources, Pediment Gold, Palangio Explorations, and Sand Gold are our current sponsors for this segment. And we're going to have today um, Gary Friedman, who is the president and CEO of Pediment Explorations. Now, it's not as if we're selling toothpaste here, folks. We really are, uh, our sponsors are all gold mining companies, if you didn't gather from the names. Those uh, companies are sponsors of, of ours because uh, they fit very well with the topic, with the subject matter of this program. We do believe that gold must be an, an integral part of a successful portfolio, given, given the uh, financial conditions that our markets are in right now. Uh, so we're going to ta- turn to Gary Friedman now, who is with us this week. Um, Gary, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks for having me, Jay. It's a pleasure. Well, it's really good to have you on. You and I have been talking. We've, of course, have been on Al Corlin's shows. Uh, you've been a-, a company recommendation in my newsletter for some time. Uh, but a lot of the people on our show don't know very much about you. We've got about five minutes. Uh, sure. Can you just give us a little bit of a background? Now, you have two advanced stage projects in, in Mexico. You have many properties, but you have two projects in particular that you are uh, moving forward on. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about those two properties? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. Um, first off, the two projects, one being in Sonora, the other being on southern Baja, Uh, The Sonoran Project, which was a producer not only back in the 1800s, early 1900s as an underground mine, but also in the late 1900s, around 1993, I think, till 2001, it produces an open pit project. And, you know, the old adage is if you want to look for more gold, it's often wise to look where gold's being found. And there's probably been about three and a half to four million ounces of gold and I don't know how many millions of ounces of silver taken out of that district, um, but it's been you know, fairly fruitful for us in buying this project because it's given us a project to work on that is something that's you know, developing into what we believe is a, um, a world-class exploration target. That is because the gold that's been found and that continues to be identified in the area gives us the kind of lift that we look for in projects of this nature. The second project... Uh, being the San Antonio project, which was actually a company discovery. This was a project bought uh, by the company earlier on for stock when the private company, uh, which was uh, El, El Dragon, uh, merged with what Pediment has become, Pediment Gold. And it was part of the merger uh, package, and it's in a fairly substantial gold trend on the southern Baja, there are uh, a number of other deposits in the area. One is Peridonas Amarillos, which is fairly uh, fairly recognized. It's been ongoing and developing over the years. Currently, it's owned by another company, Vista Gold. And we found the um, project we call San Antonio on the northern side of the trend, or what we like to call the second anchor, or on the north end of the trend, which we call um, Los Planes. And that's a a project that's been developed over the last couple of years. We've got about 250 drill holes into it. We just released an M&I number on it, somewhere over a million and a half ounces. 
So we're pretty excited about the project, and we expect to see good things develop in that area over the next little while as we continue to work on both of the projects. Good, Gary. Can you give us an idea of uh, when you think those projects could conceivably be put into production? And to the extent you're aware of the economics of those projects, could you just talk to that uh, a little bit? I'm not sure if you can, if you have enough information yet to advise us. But obviously, from an investor's point of view, we're always looking forward, hoping to gain some sorts of insights into the economics and, and potential valuations of your of your share price as a result of the projects. Could you give us just give us as much of that information as you could? Yeah, what I'm comfortable saying, and because of 43101, we've got to kind of be a little bit careful how we frame these things. But what we've done on the Baja as an example is a um, is a, uh, a 43101, uh, which is being um, updated technically internally just now. Uh, and this is a uh, this is a report that's going to give us a little bit better information about the project, so we can start to put some numbers together in terms of costs and such. Uh, we're a little far away from understanding that, but it's our assumption that it will be uh, a fairly um, a fairly uh, competitive price, if you will, for for gold. Uh, for gold, uh, the idea of producing there is something that's going to take a little more work. Certainly, it'll need some type of a pre-feasibility study. But I'll say that we are in the early stages of where we're able to do those sorts of things now, and these are the types of um, this is the type of progress we expect to see over the next year or so. Um, on the project. You know, it's a little hard to say when it would be in production because we just don't have enough information to say that. What I will say is that it's moving along very, very well, and I expect to see good things out of the project over the next year, year and a half. As for La Colorada, we've been doing some work over there and some drilling, and we expect to see a solid report out of that over the next two or three, uh, probably over the next two months, which will give us a better indication and then once that report's done, we're going to follow through with some type of an economic study. We also believe that that'll be competitive in price, and we believe that it'll be something that could produce, once again, in the relative short term. But there's a lot of documentation that needs to be put together to give definitive answers on those things. Suffice it to say, the market's enjoyed the company. The market continues to buy the stock. I believe that the market's comfortable that we have the right people running the company to get it to where we need it to be. Well, obviously, Gary, the markets like to see increases in reserves and resources. Are there prospects for that on those two leading properties? Yes, I believe that what we're planning to do is come out. We have some news getting ready to come out on um, La Colorado, as I said, and in also the form of a 43-101. So that'll give us some specific numbers on it. We believe that, you know, once again, I've got to be fairly careful what I say, but we believe that we're going to see a good, healthy number uh, as put out or what was represented by El Dorado. These are not 43-101 compliant numbers, but um, we were pretty comfortable with the reports that we got from them showing somewhere in the seven to eight, 900,000 ounce category. Okay, Those are good. expected. Uh, Gary, before we close, can you uh, tell our listeners your share, your share, what is your share price at now, and, and what is the symbol? And uh, The symbol is P-E-Z or P-E-Z in Canada. In the States, it's P-E-Z-G-F on the Bolton board. We're trading at about 99 cents Canadian, and I think it's 93 or 94 cents U.S. Mm -hmm. Okay, excellent, Gary. Well, thank you very much for, for telling our listeners a little bit about your company. I'm sure we'll be following it some more. And one of the things, Gary, we do uh, for your company as well as other sponsors in this show is we update our listeners as to some of the meaningful press releases that have come out. And, and I need to tell our listeners before we go to the break that uh, we do have some interesting things this week to report to. Apollo Gold on Friday 
The 16th reported uh, uh, some very, very good numbers from its Gray Fox property, uh, values ranging from a, a third of an ounce to eight ounces per ton, and some very exciting drill results there in the Gray Foxes adjacent to and contiguous with or at least on strike with uh, the Black Fox, from which this company is now producing a considerable amount of gold. Hawthorne Gold, on October 15th, also reported some very, very good numbers from its Taurus deposit up there in British Columbia, which it hopes to put into production and help uh, uh, supplement the mill feed from the higher-grade uh, deposit next door. Metanor Resources, likewise, came through with some very good uh, assays, of about uh, 13, about a third of an ounce, of ton, uh, per ton gold over 5.2 meters on its open pit berry deposit. Planjo Exploration is issuing some shares. We need to tell you that. Uh, I think 9.5 million shares at 37 cents this week to uh, fund a very exciting project it has in Ghana. It's really an exploration project, but I think one that has a great deal of promise. And Sand Gold, which has long been one of our favorites, continues to be on a tear. With respect to their exploration results, they reported this past week 2.7 meters of 2.6 ounces per ton. Uh, that came not from its high-grade hinge deposit, but, uh, but interestingly enough, from its existing uh, Rice Lake gold mine. So there's lots of good things happening, a lot of money going into the ground and good results coming out. Uh, this is indeed an exciting time for uh, gold investing. Uh, we are having a very good year this year so far. Our model portfolio is up 67%. However, we are a bit concerned. I have been voicing this concern for some time because I truly am, am believing that we could have a very significant decline in the equity markets. And on that topic, our special guest today is, uh, is, is Robert Prechter, and he's going to be with us right after the break to tell us, uh, to give us his views on the market. Robert Prechter is a very well-known Elliott Wave analyst, uh, and I'm sure you don't want to miss what he has to say. So we'll be right back. Um, we're going to turn to the break right now, and we'll be right back um, right after the break with Robert Prechter. Don't go away. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I'm really honored today to say our special guest is Robert Prechter, a name synonymous with Elliott Wave Analysis, I think, for many years. Robert has written 13 books on finance, beginning with Elliott Wave Principles in 1978, and that predicted the 1920s-style stock market boom. His 2002 book, Conquer the Crash, predicted the current crisis. Prechter's latest interest is a new approach to social science, which he outlined in Socioeconomics, the Science of History and Social Prediction, published in 2003. In, in July 2007, the journal Behavioral Finance published the Financial Economic Dichotomy, a Socioeconomic Perspective. It's a paper written by Prechter and his colleague, Dr. Wayne Parker. Prechter has made uh, presentations on socioeconomic theory to London School of Economics, Georgia Tech, MIT, SUNY, and at academic conferences. Welcome, Robert, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, how's your show going? I heard your, um, your listeners are up. It's doing very well, Robert. We're very pleased, and thanks to people like you who uh, who are willing to come on the show. We've had a lot of very interesting people on this show. Uh, Ron Paul, uh, David Tice is coming on pretty soon. Mark Faber, um, Catherine Austin Fitz, Ed Griffin, and and a host of people. So uh, there is a lot of uh, there is a thirst for information outside of the mainstream. What we're getting uh, on CNBC. Um, Bloomberg and the like, although there is a lot of good information there, too. We hear you once in a while there and a few other people. But for the most part, I think most people feel somewhat deprived of of the truth. And, um, you know, what we're trying to get at here is is the truth. And, I, you know, I, I think we all have our own biases. So 
I'm cautious of, of saying that you know I'm any better than anyone else in that regard, but at least I don't think we have the conflicted interest that some other in, some other institutions may have in that regard. So uh, a basic premise of this show then is that um, in order to protect ourselves and to understand what is really going on, we do need to get to that truth. That's that's the reason uh, that we have people like you on here. Uh, many of the people that we've had on this show, I just mentioned Ian Gordon, David Tice, Mark Faber, Ron Paul, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, and the like, are really sort of Austrian economic thinkers. Uh, do you consider yourself in that light, or, or maybe in part uh, an Austrian thinker? Very much so, yes. I, I think the ideas of the Austrians uh, are correct in that fiat money and central banking creates credit booms and busts and that we're all better off without them. Honest money is the best way to go, and that's uh, historically has always been gold. Well, that may explain why we don't see you on CNBC more often. <laughs> well, you know, a few people know CNBC started as FNN, and uh-huh. Financial News Network used to interview technicians almost yes. all day long, and they had uh, fringe economists and all sorts of very interesting people, but they have definitely become mainstream. You know, well, as you say, they still have uh, a lot of great content. But it's different, let's put it that way. So that leaves an opening for you. Well, we worry a lot about bad hair days and the like on CNBC, I think. So instead of some of these more serious issues sometimes. But anyway, I'd like to focus a lot on Conquer the Crash, your latest, well, I guess it's not your latest book. It's the latest book I was familiar with and I am familiar with, Conquer the Crash, which was published in 2002. It was about that same time that we, after the stock market decline in 2000, from 2000 on, that there started to be a lot of concern among our mainstream about deflation. Uh, you know, the, the, the Japanese experience is fresh in the minds of some of our policymakers, and uh, Ben Bernanke wrote a paper in 2002, or he gave a speech, uh, Deflation, Making Sure It Doesn't Happen Here. And he was, you know, quite convinced that he had studied the 1930s and understood that uh, the problems and the reasons that the 1930s drug on and on, and he provided uh, his thoughts about how we could well, his thoughts about how we could conquer the crash, if I might use that term. <laughs> no, he was going to prevent... shower more money into the economy and, and use heli- using helicopters if necessary. Well, you obviously, I don't think, as an Austrian thinker, really buy into that notion. So um, the question I'd like to ask is, for those listeners who may not have read your book, Conquer the Crash, can you share your major theme, the major theme of that book, if you would, please? Well, just to... Uh follow up on one thing you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Bernanke essentially was saying he would prevent a crash, and I can guarantee that 2008 was one big surprise to him. Uh-huh. And I think 2010 is going to be an even bigger one. But the theme of my book is very simple. I, I think that markets move on waves of optimism and pessimism, that this social mood, the fluctuation in social mood, essentially govern uh, the characteristics of social behavior, and that's behavior in all kinds of realms, the financial behavior, people buying and sell or selling stocks, the economic realm, people in an uptrend in, in positive mood will expand their businesses, and you'll see the economic numbers get better. The opposite happens on the way down. It also shows up in fads and fashions and movies and uh, television themes and all kinds of other areas. If you can get a good handle on when people are extremely optimistic, you can uh, get a feeling that you're near a top, and if, when they're extremely pessimistic, you're near a bottom. But even more important, the model that we use was developed by Ralph Nelson Elliott in the 1930s. He was the man who, who first said that financial prices move in fractal form. In other words, the same structures that happen on the very short term happen on the intermediate term and the long term. 
And the reason I wrote Conquer the Crash was in 2000, uh, we completed, or the stock market completed, a series of waves all the way from the depression lows of 1932. And it meant that we had reached a peak of optimism going back seven, seven decades. Mm. That's a very long time. It said we're going to have a commensurate bear market. It took a long time to get going because of our fiat money that uh, clouded the issue, but I think it's well underway and has been actually for, for uh, nine years. Mm. So you see a cycle similar to what uh, our grandparents went through in the 30s, exactly. a down cycle. Although um, this one's bigger. One thing about cycles uh, the Kondratiev cycle, for example, doesn't really distinguish in terms of degree. Everyone is described roughly the same. And, and at least with Elliott Waves, you get an, an occasional idea that one will be larger or smaller than another. For example, the very late 1800s, there was a Kondratiev low, uh, but it was very mild because in wave terms, it was near the end of a, of a third wave uh, and in the middle of a very large advance. It was not very large degree. The, the early 30s was much larger degree, very much like the early 1840s. This time around, it's the same degree that uh, accompanied the, the collapse after the South Sea bubble. And if you know your stock history, you know the stocks didn't make a new high for almost uh, 80 or 90 years after wow. the South Sea bubble. So this is a big one. Wow. This is, is it comparable then? And uh, I've heard this, the terminology grand supercycle instead of just a supercycle. Would you turn the, term this then a grand supercycle? Yes, I think that is the kind of top that we've been building for the last 10 years. So a magnitude worse than potentially from what our grandparents experienced. That's correct. Yeah. And I think you can see it even in the buildup in credit. It's way, it dwarfs what we had in the 1920s. The extremity in, in overvaluation in the stock market dwarfs the 1920s. At the top day in 1929, uh, the Dow yielded 2.8% in dividends. This time it was at 1.4% in 2000 before the market finally topped out. Everything wow. you look at tells me that our, our interpretation of this being a larger degree is correct. Wow. Um, well, you, you do pay a lot of attention to, uh, to valuations in markets and moods, as you said, and uh, I guess you're looking for you know, to, to counter those moves so that when people get overly optimistic, you're looking to, to short the market and vice versa. But in Chapter 6 of your book, you talked about, uh, div talked about uh, valuations using tools like dividend yields, P.E. ratios, book value, etc. And you, discover, uh, you, you really discussed the significance of uh, high stock market valuations. And in that chapter, you also showed a couple of charts that demonstrated recent stock market valuations were in extreme high levels compared with the past. In fact, the stock market was valued at a level that was roughly three times the level of the Dow before the 29 crash. I guess that's basically what you're, what you're just saying. Right. In dividend terms, uh, even in P.E. terms, and of course the P.E. today is even higher. Well, we've had two major stock market uh, declines since 2000. Given those declines, you're still seeing that, though. Even at this point in time, we're still very, very overvalued. Tremendously overvalued. The optimism uh, on an intermediate-term basis is, again, extreme. So I think this is the third top in the last 10 years. Well, applying those, those same yardsticks, then, um, so where do we go from here? I mean, the markets generally overshoot on the upside and undershoot or, or overshoot on the downside as well, do they not? What do you see for the, uh, say, for the Dow Jones near-term, longer-term? What are you calling for? Okay, well, 
um, last February, third week of February, we said, look, we're coming into the bottom of the fifth wave. Uh, this is going to complete the first wave down on a major trend. And we're, we should get a rally back to anywhere between 9,000 and 10,000 on the Dow. So for a normal rally, I think we've reached the upper end of that range. Uh, there's nothing that can prevent the market from having a much deeper retracement. It's, uh, it's retraced about 45% or maybe 47% of the decline from 2007 to early 2009. Sometimes you'll get retracements of 50 or even 60%. I'm not betting on it because the, the optimism is so, is so extreme here. Um, but many readings are just as extreme as they were in 2000 um, or in 2007. This wow. is classic wave two behavior because people always believe at the bottom of wave one that the wave two rally is the resumption of a new bull market. Mm-hmm. We had something similar to that following the 1929 crash. I'm sure you know that from November to April 1930 there was a substantial rally trace 52% of the crash. But then we started two years down that were much worse than the crash. I think that this market is in that type of position, that we're ready to start another wave down. It's going to break the March lows by a substantial amount, probably last several years. Uh, What would it take uh, if we bounced up, let's say, 67% off the bottom or something? I mean, would there be a level that the equity markets rose to which you would say, well, I was wrong and, you know, I've got my wave count wrong and we're, and we're going to, um, you know, and there's no major decline. Would something like, I mean, what would, theoretically, what would you need to see to convince you you're wrong about this? Well, the main thing I'd need to see is some kind of change in the indicators uh, or the wave structure. So far we've had what I would consider a corrective wave structure on the upside if that turned impulsive that might uh, effect the way I think, but I can't imagine it happening because we'd also have to get dividend yield up to six or seven percent. We'd have to get PE down to seven. It's currently a hundred. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine a situation where this does not uh, end as a partial retracement. In other words, a bear market rally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to put my imagination, your imagination, to work, if I could, just for a second. Um, going back to 1971, Richard Nixon took us off the international gold standard, and from that time we can see money, mon- the monetary aggregates just surging, just exploding almost, um, and, of course, accelerating almost exponentially now. Would we still have the same kind of severe market gyrations if Nixon hadn't done that back in 1971? Oh, well, Nixon didn't have a choice because the government was continuing to spend and borrow, uh, and the banking system was continuing to create credit. So the, the value of dollars and IOU dollars outstanding was falling and falling and falling. I mean, once, once uh, Roosevelt took us off the gold standard, the Nixon's move was inevitable. It would have happened even if his name wasn't Nixon. So... I don't think his action caused anything. I think his action was a result okay. of decisions made earlier. So larger sociological uh, forces at work. In other words, Nixon, in theory, it seems, could have raised taxes to pay for Vietnam and to pay for um, Lyndon Johnson's uh, Great Society. Could he not have? Oh, I suppose any one of our uh, political people could have done that since we went on, since we created the Fed. But, of course, they found it much more convenient just to borrow the money um, or to essentially print it by having the Fed buy that debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, as we all know, they're going to take the easiest way, right? That's how you get reelected. Well, yeah, they wouldn't have, perhaps he wouldn't have been elected if he had taken that or reelected. Anyway, um, 
So if I understand your, um, your thesis is that these larger sociological factors really sweep the policymakers up and they don't really have a choice in the matter. Oh, well, as individuals they have a choice, but the ones that people elect, you see, mm-hmm. are going to be the ones that, that fit the mood. Sure. So when they want uh, someone who's going to uh, represent the way they feel, that's the person who gets elected. People have often said to me, for example, well, what, what would have happened if Ronald Reagan had gotten elected four years earlier? And my answer is, well, he didn't. <laughs> you know, he got elected when people thought they wanted him. Right. Um, but it, here's something interesting. Yeah. It's, the policies of these people, I think, ultimately uh, is, is not the cause of their election or failure to be elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say, oh, well, Reagan pulled us out of the problems of the 70s, and he was a conservative. He lowered taxes, and that's why we were so successful. But we elected a socialist in 1932, mm-hmm. Franklin Roosevelt, and the market had a five-times move in five years, the fastest run-up it had ever had. Right. So, and, and, of course, when we threw out a conservative, well, somewhat of a conservative, when after Bush's second mm-hmm. term and elected a, a liberal, the whole idea was... We wanted change. We wanted change because we didn't. We weren't feeling good. The markets were down. We wanted a new guy. New Zealand did the opposite. They threw out a liberal and put in a conservative. In fact, mm-hmm. a financial guy. Mm-hmm. So, so the whole point was voters wanted to change the leadership, right. but they're not, unfortunately, in the aggregate, smart enough to know what kind of political uh, structure they really want. It's just mm-hmm. that, well, I want change. Right. Change for change's sake, without thinking it through very deeply. Right. Uh, in Chapter 11, you raise the question, what makes deflation likely today? And the mainstream media appears confident that Mr. Bernanke and Obama uh, have everything under control. So what does make deflation today, assuming that's still what you believe, and I, and I believe it is, what makes it inevitable today, even as trillions of new dollars are being pumped into the economy? Well, actually, uh, they have pumped a trillion uh, new dollars into the economy. The, when you add an S, what you're talking about is not new money, but new uh, debt. Mm-hmm. So the amount of debt outstanding, depending on how you count it, is somewhere between $50 trillion and $250 trillion worth. Those are IOU dollars, and there are only $2 trillion actually in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So I think what's going to happen is this uh, tremendous amount of IOU dollars uh, will found to be worthless. People will not be able to, s- to scrape up the actual dollars to pay off these debts. And... Even, and so I think that implosion already last year, I think we saw evidence of that, can happen far faster than the authorities can create new money. And not only that, but as debt is destroyed, even if people say, oh, well, it, you know, they're going to monetize a lot of this debt, that still is nothing but break-even. Mm-hmm. In order to get net inflation, they would have to print more money that you're, ha- that you're losing on the, on the credit side, mm-hmm. and they're not doing that. So it and I don't think they will either. It seems as though, I mean, in theory at least, you could just simply hand out huge amounts of money to to the lower and middle classes and just let her rip and overcome. Yeah, but where do you get it? Uh, you either bo- what they've been doing for the most part is they're either borrowing it, which means they're pulling it out of the banking system and pulling it out of other investors. Um, Couldn't you literally just print it and hand it out? Yeah, but they're not doing that. No, they're not doing that. No. You don't think there's any chance they would do that? Oh, there's a chance, but the government is always late. The mm-hmm. government has never anticipated a problem in its history. Yeah, it always reacts. Remember the laws they passed in 1934 that were to, to rein in the banks and, and straighten out the brokerage firms? Mm-hmm. The, the entire collapse was over. 
even the recession had already hit, uh, depression had already hit bottom. And finally, you know, two years later, they, they put out, uh, oh, well, let's fix the crash. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, man, it's too late. It's over. So by the time they get around to figuring out that they need to print actual dollars, um, I think the deflation will have run its course. I think the swiftness of it is going to shock people, and I think we'll find out the FDIC cannot handle uh, 2,000, 3,000 closed banks at the same time, and it's going to be a real mess. And that's why I'm recommending that people get whatever money they have outside of the banking system Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part and either into safe U.S.-only money market funds Mm-hmm. Or liquid banks uh, overseas, private banks overseas that have not gotten caught up in, mm-hmm. in, um, in issuing so many mortgages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I said, in Conquer the Crash, some gold and some bags of silver coins as well. And that's you, pro- it. you want money, you don't want investments. Do you provide some of those ideas in your newsletter, Robert? Sure. Oh, every okay. month. So we'll, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but. Um, I believe you're bearish on gold, perhaps, and, and I would like to ask you in nominal terms or in real terms. In other words, in theory, it's possible the price of gold could go down, and yet its purchasing power still increase. But uh, you have a reputation, I think, for being somewhat bearish on gold. Is that so? Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of that because mm-hmm. for 30 years, 29 years, it hasn't gone anywhere, net-net. There were so many better things to do with your money since 1980. Sure. Uh, the, sure. And silver, of course, you've lost money in dollar terms since 1980. It's probably mm-hmm. the worst investment there's been in the last 29 years. Uh-huh. So I think that's been the right stance. Now, in late 2001, uh, I turned bullish. In fact, on the bottom day, I printed an article by Barron's mm-hmm. uh, that was bearish across the board. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't stay with that as, as long as I should, ha- should have. And in Conquer the Crash, I said, look, you want to own some gold and you want to own it now. I think it was still under in the 300s at that time. But I wasn't, you know, someone who said, look, you want to put your whole portfolio into gold. It's all a real money game. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that when this deflation really gets serious, people are going to sell everything in order to, to raise the dollars they need to pay off their IOUs. Mm-hmm. And the time to buy gold is when people don't want it, as mm-hmm. in 1999 or 2001. Today, everybody thinks gold is a great investment after it's gone up four times in value. Mm-hmm. We've got 91% of traders bullish on it. Only 3% of the traders are bullish on the dollar. I think we're going to have a giant move in the other direction in both of these markets. Well, that's very interesting, uh, Robert. You mentioned uh, uh, a few minutes ago uh, the Kondratiev cycle, and I have a very good friend on the line with us here today. Uh, he is Ian Gordon, who was mentioned in your book, Conquering the Crash. And Ian is known for his Kondratiev work. And um, so I'd like to ask Ian uh, if he has a question or two for you, for uh, Robert. Ian, are you there? I am. It's a great honor to be here. Well, uh, it's Robert, great to be talking uh, to you, and I'm glad to anticipate your question. Talk. <laughs> um, I'm a, a big believer in your work and a subscriber to, to your letter. I just bought... Uh, your latest book, Chronicles of, um, is it Chronicles of the Crash, the big, big Oh, the Mania book. Chronicles, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I think one of the things that I, you know, one of the things I've done in the Kondratiev cycle is to show that, you know, gold doesn't work in the autumn of the cycle because stocks do, and that in the winter, I believe gold works because nothing else really does, because it works really in the form of cash. Uh, could you comment on that? Yes. Uh, first of all, we agree that what people want in the winter portion is cash. Mm-hmm. They suddenly panic about everything else, and they realize, oh, my gosh, I'm really, truly broke. I need to save. I need to get money somehow. Um, 
Now, what's interesting to me, or at least my view of things, is we haven't really tested the current system. This is the first time we've had only fiat money. Back in the early 30s, uh, we had a fixed dollar uh, and a fixed price of gold. Uh, in prior Kondratiev wave bottoms, such as the uh, 1840s, uh, 50s, and again uh, in the late 1800s, we only had one money, and it was defined as a certain number of grains of gold. That's what the dollar meant. So gold did well because it was our money during those periods, and gold did well in the early 30s because it was fixed by the government. It was the only investment that was not falling because the government said, we're going to guarantee its price at 21.67 per ounce. Uh, today, the, the government does not fix the price of gold. So to me, it's trading in the free market at a completely worldwide determined fair value. So whatever gold is right now is what everybody thinks it ought to be worth. Um, so the question is, are people viewing uh, gold more and more as money? And I think they're beginning to do that. Or are we so stuck in a fiat money system that gold is going to be one of the items that people uh, reluctantly sell, but nevertheless sell uh, when the deflation is on? And I'm of the latter mind. I think that people have lived in a dollar world or a, or a yen world or a euro world, and all of their finances, everything they owe, the contracts they have written, for example, all say, you must pay me in dollars or one of those other currencies. This is what we have a shortage of and what people are going to be uh, trying to get at all costs in order to pay off these debts and what the creditors are going to demand because they can't demand gold from anybody. They can only demand the dollars. Mm-hmm. So people are going to have to get them, and we have a trillion dollars in cash currency, and we have a trillion dollars in reserves that the Fed has created in the last, what, eight, nine months, which is a tremendous amount of new money, but still is very, very small compared to the amount that everyone owes each other. So I still think that in the worst of the deflationary period, gold will go down. But I have said many, many times it's going to go down way less than stocks, okay. way less than most other commodities, because it has gone up the least in this cycle, number one, and number two, because it is ultimately money, it's the only money, and some people who are wealthy enough are going to be moving their money into gold. So I'm in favor of having some. Mm-hmm. I just disagree with the people who say it's going to go to $20,000 an ounce because we're going into hyperinflation. I think sure. we're going into deflation. Very good. That's a good point. And Actually, what I hear you saying, I think, is that gold in real terms and its purchasing power could actually increase vis-a-vis most things, but I guess you're, you're uh, believing that, that paper or cash uh, will, be, uh, will be stronger than gold then. Exactly, for a period. Now, gold has been stronger, um, has been stronger during this reflationary period. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a setback when everything else crashed in 2008. And I think that proves my point, because when we got into real deflation, gold went down. It didn't go down much because it didn't go up. Like, platinum went up seven times, and copper went up seven mm-hmm. times, and mm-hmm. uranium went up 20 times, uh, and, and uh, oil went up 14 times. Gold only went up four. So it came down less. It's now the only thing in the world at a new high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the reason is that because it didn't get so uh, bulled up during that superinflation in the middle of this decade. But you know what? Time will tell, and it's fine to own. You know, I, I'm an advocate of gold. <laughs> I like it. I just want to buy it at the best possible price. Well, that, that makes, certainly makes a lot of sense to do that. Uh, 
I, I guess uh, looking back at history, and I think, Ian, if you're there, you might comment on this, but I think we've seen over the last hundred years or so when the Dow Jones has bottomed, we've seen something close to a one-to-one Dow-to-gold ratio. So I'm just wondering if there might not be some more upside, and I guess what you're saying, suggesting is compared to stocks, there, there could very well be some more upside for gold. Ian, are you there? Uh, yeah, sorry. What, um, what are your well, thoughts, again, Ian? I'm, We've had this one to one ratio of gold. I'm a little more bullish on the stock market than you are, you are because I've got Dow 1000 as my target. <laughs> and what, and what is yours, Robert, your, your target for the Dow at the bottom? Uh, I'm saying triple digits, so, yeah, I guess I'm a little more bearish than that. Okay. And, and, and but I'm I picking agree. Dow 1,000 simply because it was a, a point of, you know, major resistance for the Dow to really get sure. through that number. But, um, uh, and I'm picking a target for gold of 4,000, so I'm saying that ultimately it'll take a quarter of an ounce of gold to buy the Dow Jones at the bottom. And I, one thing I think is that the people who own gold don't have the debt that you are alluding to. So I think that people who have been purchasing gold are the people who are really trying to protect themselves by buying gold as, you know, as a form of cash because they don't trust paper. Um, well, that could very well be the case. You know, um, uh, Who knows for sure which way this thing is going to go, and I guess that's uh, what makes life interesting, isn't it? We, nobody knows for sure, but I do... I do very much respect the work of, of uh, you, Robert Prechter, and Ian Gordon, and, and various other people we've had on our shows. Uh, and we thank you both for being with us today. Uh, we are out upon our station break now, our commercial break. Uh, coming back at the, uh, at the end of the break, we're going to talk to Chen Lin, and we're going to summarize the markets from our perspective. In just a few minutes. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I made a grievous error in the last segment. I failed to tell you how you could get in touch with Robert Prechter and his work. And I would highly recommend that you do that because, uh, well, I'm a subscriber uh, to the Elliott Wave Theorist, uh, Robert Prechter's newsletter. He has written many books, um, and uh, they're all very, very insightful. Um, I like to talk to people who have new ideas, not mainstream ideas, but people who can bring some fresh genius into the discussion, and, uh, and, and, doc- and Robert Prechter certainly uh, does that. If you go to ElliottWave.com, that's www.elliottwave.com, you can learn more about Robert Prechter's work, and again, my apologies uh, to Robert for not giving, me, giving him the opportunity to tell you, but I've told you now. So we're here with uh, Chen Lin, and we're going to talk to Chen just in a second. I want to say again that we are very pleased with the performance of our portfolio this year. Our model portfolio is up 67%, and Chen, who's done some marvelous trading, has done much, much better than that with his portfolio. But um, the results are good, but I am worried about, uh, about the things that uh, Robert Prechter talked about. I think people are getting caught up in a, in a mania again, in, in a lot of optimism. Uh, so I, I, I want to welcome Chen. I'm going to get his thoughts on that. Chen, are you there? Yes. Hi, Jay. I'm here. Hey, thanks, Chen, for joining me. You're just back from Singapore and Hong Kong and visiting your parents over in the mainland. So welcome back. I want to ask you uh, to give me your views from your visit over there in China and Singapore and so forth. Uh, but first, um, I, I just want to ask you, what are your thoughts on what uh, Bob Prechter just had to say, um, the, specifically with respect to the decline in the equity markets, uh, the potential for that, and also for 
the potential for gold prices to go down in nominal terms, if not real terms. Yeah, I think it's possible. Uh, you always, as a trader, you always need to listen to understand both sides, uh, you know, uh, of argument. Uh, and it's just very good. It's very thoughtful ideas. Uh, my personally think uh, it's um, it's really. I think it depends on you know because government printed so much money uh, lately, and it's not just United States. Every country in the world. And every country in the world, government is uh, specializing devaluate their own currency. You know, mm-hmm. every central bank wants their um, currency worth less tomorrow than today to promote their export. So uh, that actually could be very helpful for the gold price because gold people treated that you know because all that currency is a phase on your central bank, and then your central bank wants your currency to worth less tomorrow. Actually, will help the super currency, which is gold, and it has been valid for thousands of years. So, uh, so, and also, there's a Chinese saying that, for, you know, that saying that, you know, if you're in a good time, you can buy collectibles, and then in bad time, you buy gold. So, I think, you know, right now, if we we're probably experiencing some turbulence in the market, so gold actually can do well. Well, it certainly has been doing well, and of course, it's a matter of timing in part. And I think uh, Bob Prechter makes a very good point that probably. You know, it's not as good a time to buy gold for sure as it was a few years ago, but uh, I guess the question is how much further does it have to run, and that's open for discussion, and that's what makes markets different views on things. Chen, I want to ask you about China. You and I were over in Singapore, uh, very enjoyable time at a conference over there, met a lot of interesting people. My first time in Singapore, what a wonderful city, what a clean place, very friendly people. What did you see, what were your impressions when you come back from China right now? Is China going to be able to pull the world out of what Robert Prechter is looking for? Uh, no, I don't think it can pull the war, rest of the world out. I mean, it's probably it's doing, bad, it's doing pretty well on its own. Okay, if I talk to many people, traders, investors, uh, there's a booming, you know, everything's booming from housing to a, real, to, you know, a stock market in a sense, and then there's a very easy to raise money one one. Um, one fund manager he just raised like thirty million, like in a week, just to buy distressed asset actually in the United States. So there's plenty of money around. Uh, seems the boom time is back, um, you know, it, and it clearly China seems to be in a V-shaped recovery, similar to the 2003 and 2004 of the United States. So we know it's probably not sustainable. The question is how long can they last? So that's that's my question. You know, from U.S. actually 2003, 2004, you can see that the crack in the economy already, but it takes about another three years to crack. So I don't know how long this, this boom will last in China. Yeah. So I'm watching that very closely. Well, one of the things that I admire about your work, Chen, is your ability to be nimble and to change your mind. And open, being an open mind is really, really important to investing. Even uh, I, I think it's very important to, uh, to consider different ideas. Sometimes we don't like to consider ideas that are contrary to our own but sometimes you pay very dearly for being stubborn and not willing to think outside the box. And that's why we have people like you and Robert Prechter and Ian Gordon and many other people on. Uh, we're just about out of time here now. Um, so uh, just one idea. Any ideas, uh, Chen, any, what are your latest thoughts? Any hot stocks that you're really interested in at the moment? Oh, well, right now I have nothing particular. I mean, I have actually a list of stock I'm watching just send out the, uh, to my subscribers. I sure. Management immediately after I came back. So, you know, seems gold is doing well, just general sorts. Uh, and then I try to keep hitting new highs. I mean, even today, pullback is very mild. Even yeah. dollar was quite strong. You yeah, know, indeed. Well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to leave it at that for now, Chen. We are running out of time here. I just want to mention to, to folks again that you can pick up, uh, Chen's letter. 
um, a trial subscription to Chen, Roger Wiegand, myself. Um, uh, call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. Um, I also want to, uh, in closing, oh, I want to mention next week we're going to have Rob Kirby on our show. Rob is a trader with major money center banks in Canada. He knows the gold markets very well. He knows how the major players have manipulated the gold markets, and he's going to share some of that with us and help us understand what's going on behind the scenes. I want to thank each of you for listening again this week. And last but not least, I want to also thank uh, the staff at Voice America, Tacey Trump, my se- the senior executive producer, Ruben Colombe, the operations manager, Travis Ortwin, my, ma- my engineer, uh, for making this show possible logistically. And also, again, thanks to you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is time is Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.